Hello, I'm Maya Bird-Murphy, and I'm the founder and executive director of Chicago Mobile Makers. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship, and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Courtney and this is another episode of A Student's Perspective. Today I'm speaking with Maya Bird Murphy. If you like your conversation today, please feel free to hit like, comment along the way, and share our video. Hi, Maya. Thank you so much for talking with us today. We're really excited to have you here. Can you just start off by introducing yourself and a little bit about your background? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm Maya Bird-Murphy. Um, I am the founder and executive director of Chicago Mobile Makers, which means I'm working out of Chicago. I actually grew up in Oak Park, and I have a architecture and design background. Awesome. So what was school, what did school look like for you? Um, what really gauged your interest into architecture and the design field in general? Yeah, well, I, I don't think that I knew that I wanted to be an architect until I went to school. And it really took going to this two week like camp that was all about architecture that really showed me that I wanted to be an architect. But I have kind of a weird upbringing because I grew up in Oak Park, which is just full of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. And so, you know, we, we always knew that architecture existed. And so once I got to school, it was actually really funny. One of the school field trips was back to Oak Park. And I was like, oh, this is silly. Like I, I've seen all of this millions of times. Um, but it just showed how like architecture centric um, Oak Park was, which is, you know, a really kind of special thing. 
Um, and I would say that school, I went to Ball State University and I would say it was pretty typical architecture, lots of late nights, lots of not going to sleep. Um, a lot of hard work, but also super, super fun. We all had a lot of fun <laughs> in studio. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have definitely a similar um, situation going on here. Uh, something that right off the bat you, that interests me, what you said was, you know, we grow up um, around such maybe miraculous architectures sometimes, depending on where we come from. And really, a lot of the time, I think we take it for granted. Um, you know, even just walking through our own neighborhood and seeing maybe something like you said, you had um, experience with Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. I mean, here we have at Scranton, we have um, Jane Jacobs, you know what I mean? We have that kind of historical background um, mm -hmm. in arch architecture embedded with us here. And to, to be honest, I've spoken to a lot of um, members of the community who didn't really know who she was. And, you know, I think a lot of the time that's just an interesting concept um, because you said, you know, architecture, we're embedded into it, but really like what, to what extent do we recognize it? You know what I mean? And how that has an effect on that. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that, that aspect of it? Yeah. I mean, I think that it had a huge impact on just, you know, daily life where, we were constantly and very early exposed to this architecture and you know oak park makes you <laughs> pay attention to it so everybody here knows about it because it's just i mean constantly talked about their walking tours all over the place um but i think that the, the really interesting thing here is that there are so many communities that don't have architecture and maybe don't even have construction happening in their communities and um that's when it gets really really interesting where, you know, how would that person ever know that being an architect was a thing if you never saw an architect in your community, you never saw a crane like building a building in your community. And so um, I think that's really what impacted me most when I left Oak Park. I realized that there were so many communities that didn't have architecture. And so that really became a huge interest to me. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm hearing something that we have kind of learned without the couple of uh, weeks here at school. We, you know, we just had a lecture um, with the Center for the Living City and the guest speakers spoke about um, her development with uh, the scroll, the stroll and scroll method specifically, which I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that, but it's kind of the, the notion that you're talking about. So walking through your city and walking downtown and really noticing what is there um, and what isn't there specifically too, you know what I mean? And that's something that I didn't even really take into consideration much, you know, even, even as a student within design, um, and you really start to, to hone into the details of what makes that city, a, a city and, you know, the things that your community lacks and how that has an effect on, on your environment, the way you live, just the overall atmosphere. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's something that when you talk about, um, you know, Chicago mobile makers, that that development with that, which I really want you to, um, I'm so excited to, to hear more about that development and that process of creating that, but it really just hones into that total experience of, you know, walking through a city and really like being immersed into it so that you have more of a momentum and an effect on your community positively. So can you just speak about your experience with that, um, the Chicago mobile makers? 
Yeah. So like to, to bridge what we were talking about before, um, I you know, didn't know that I was going to start a company or start a nonprofit until basically I did. <laughs> and um, when I was in school, I knew that I was really interested in like social architecture and humanitarian architecture. And so I knew that I was going towards that direction, but I didn't really know how it was going to manifest later. And so the research and development for Chicago Mobile Makers actually happened in my graduate school, like during my thesis process. And so the entire company was basically built during that time, during that year long process. And so I incorporated the business and then graduated about two months later and had this jumping off point to start doing workshops. And so um, what we do is design thinking and problem solving workshops for youth all over the city. So that means that we're you know, going around sometimes in the truck and I can talk about the truck a little bit later, but um, we're going around and breaking down all of the barriers to design education, which as we all know, there are many, um, you know, including money, including needing, needing to get somewhere and, and maybe not having that accessibility. Um, and so we go around and we, we talk about our communities a lot. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like architecture studio, but we are trying to make these programs as relevant as possible for the student. So that means that we are talking about something that's happening one block over, or um, we're talking about an issue that's in the neighborhood and has been in the neighborhood and all of the kids in the classroom already know about that issue. Um, and then what that's doing is, yes, we are teaching about design and architecture, but we're also teaching about communities. And, and just like you said, I forget with the, the stroll and scroll, um, it, we do that and, and we talk about the, the great things that already exist and the things that could improve. And then the kids are actually learning how to um, have a, a real voice and agency in their communities, and they realize that they actually have the power to, to change things if they want to. Yeah, yeah. There's so many aspects of what you just said um, that I feel are so important. You know, just the empowerment aspect of really, truly feeling connected and involved within your community, because specifically as, you know, a younger student um, growing up, I knew that, you know, there was many times where I might have noticed or even subconsciously noticed that, you know, something was lacking within our within the community or the city that I was kind of in, but I didn't really know how to make it better. And I think by, you know, you creating this mobile truck that goes around and really like hones into that and really gets the students involved, I think is so incredible and necessary today, um, especially because, you know, like you said, there are so many barriers that come across by, you know, traveling that is such a huge huge aspect because you know you have a lot of parents that work during the day and you know students want to go and do things after school but they don't have that you know that mobility to get there um mm -hmm. so i think even right away you're just you're defeating that aspect of it which is is incredible you know you're making it easier for the students and that you know that comes with a lot of stressors to it you know what i mean so just removing that barrier, it like opens up a whole new world for them. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about the truck and how that process was to kind of get it started? Because I know you mentioned that you were a graduate student at the time. So I can only imagine, you know, the stressors of working full time and going to school full time and how that might have looked. 
Yeah. Well, the truck came a little bit early or a little bit later, but during school, I designed a version of it. And that was like the architecture in my thesis. And so it, it took until like May 2019 to buy the actual truck, which was really, really exciting. And it's a retired USPS delivery van. And so it was just this big white van that had like shelving in it, metal shelving. It wasn't very pretty on the inside. And so we basically gutted the entire thing and converted it into a mobile design studio. And so we worked with a lot of local people here that, you know, it was a little bit difficult to find people to do this project because it was like, it's not a building, but like we're building something inside of it. So um, that was interesting, but we found like really, really great people to work on the project and to, to build it out. And it took about a year to raise the money and to do the whole build out. Then we were finished with it in summer of 2020. And obviously COVID, we'll probably talk about COVID too. Um, it changed some things. And when the truck was done, we didn't get to do that big party, you know, that we really wanted to. But we decided that we wanted to like keep positivity alive and like we were handing out free design kits for kids to play with at home. And we were doing pop-ups um, around the city still. We just said, like, let's just try it and see what happens. And um, we had just a lot of fun uh, doing activities like outside of the truck. And I think we're gonna see more of the potential of the truck this spring, um, just because things are a little bit more open and people are getting vaccinated. Um, so that's really exciting. but. The real purpose of the truck is to do design uh, build programs, which means that we're actually with students transforming physical space. And so not only are we going and teaching them about their community and how it could be better, we're actually going to do some kind of small scale intervention um, to improve an issue that they, that they find. Wow, yeah, and I was just going to ask, um, what do, what would a typical project that, you know, if a student came um, and wanted to be involved with this, like, was there a certain example, uh, maybe the first time you, you did this, um, once, you know, the truck was finished and you had everything ready to go, like, what was, or maybe some, uh, some examples of projects that you've done with that, with the students? Yeah, so one that we do a lot is called Community Makers, and... That is really a very basic, uh, it's like the basis of design. And we're really starting from day one of what is design. And we're going through the entire design process with the students. But again, there's an emphasis on community building and um, having a voice and speaking up in, against issues that you see. And so that one is usually like 10 weeks long, but that was when we were going into schools. So things are a little bit different now where um, we, in March, we had to stop all of our programs and that was really sad. And we were like, what are we gonna do? But it feels like, um, you know, we did some virtual programs over the winter and it feels like people are very, very ready to get back to in-person learning. And um, so we are, we're getting really busy for the spring and summer, but we're doing a six month program um, in partnership with Studio Gang and Golden Institute here um, that is community makers in a way, but we're really diving deep with, with these kids for a whole six months. Um, 
where we'll try to actually transform a space. And, you know, it's really about like learning about the community and what's happening and then, you know, proposing something that would make things even better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that was so interesting that you spoke about a little bit earlier was, you know, the adaptability of turning the USPS truck into a mobile van to utilize as a workspace. And I think that in itself is very educational for students in realizing, you know, anything, first and foremost, anything can be made and transformed as long as, you know, you put your mind to it and really like stick with the development process and working with that. Um, anything is possible. And I think a lot of students really thrive and feel confident on that. Um, a lot of the time, you know, they have such great ideas, big ideas, meaning, and, you know, they're not really quite sure how to, you know, implement them, especially within their communities. So it's just, it's just taking, you know, this sort of tool to, you know, kind of give them a nudge and, and help them out with that, which is, which I think is great because even, you know, referencing like the use of that can, can really talk about, you know, second, secondary uses for materials um, within the community as well. Um, so that aspect of it is, is just really phenomenal to me. Um, can you speak a little bit about the, how, like if a student wanted to get involved in this, how would that look how would that look like do they reach out to you um personally and kind of say you know i want to get involved with this or do you reach out to schools um how, what, what does that look like yeah so usually um before covid things are changing again but before covid we would usually just partner with the teacher and that teacher would say i'm interested in bringing this programming to our classroom and we would be going to the student like during the day so the student's not changing their um, schedule in any way we're just going to them you know during their math math class during their art class whatever um, and what's going to change soon um, some kind of exciting news we have right now is that we're like about to sign a lease on a permanent space and so that means that we're going to really be totally changing the way um, that we're doing things, although we're still going to be going to, you know, when we can, we'll still be going to schools and we'll still be going out in the truck to do programs in the truck. But then there's going to be this third thing, which is I've been calling it the hub. And um, we're going to have consistent workshops throughout the week where kids can come learn about design, architecture, digital fabrication, basic construction, and, you know, anything between. And um, so they would be just signing up our website that they would sign up for whatever program that they were interested in. And, you know, the hope is that we're getting enough funding in, um, like outside funding where the kids are paying basically nothing to do these programs. And um, the real point of this is skill building. And, you know, I, I like to talk about where the name Chicago Mobile Makers came from. And obviously mobile is the truck, but it's also, it's also about like mobility and, and I believe so strongly that's having different skills, whether they're hard skills or soft skills, like maybe you can really talk really well and like, you know, how to, um, you know, how to propose something really well, or you really understand how to like tackle a problem and solve a problem. Um, so those are the kind of skills that we're trying to, to, have in every um, workshop, but yeah, we're just we're hoping to 
have this kind of whole suite of skill building workshops that any that are just accessible to anybody. Yeah. Is and is there a certain age range that this is this pertains to, or is it really open up to anyone? It's age eight to eighteen um, for formal programs, but then those pop ups like it could be anybody who walks by could could come and engage with us. Yeah, and I think that's really amazing too that you know you're starting with with the, the mobile truck and then even branching out through pop-ups and you know having the hub coming soon. And I really think that is just going to flourish the, the company even more and really get more people involved, which you know that it just brings up that community aspect. And you know obviously community is so important. Um, but I just want to get your um, specific take on maybe why. Um, because your reasoning for why community is important might differ from what I think. Um, so I'm just, I'm just questioning what was your intent behind, you know, the aspect of community build? Was there um, a specific lack of it within your city that really pushed forward for this? Or, you know, was it just an overall concept that you wanted to kind of achieve? Yeah, I mean, I think there are kind of two kinds of community in this sense where, especially with this hub, we are going to have this community of students that's coming in um, and hopefully they're coming in for multiple workshops and they're meeting other people. And it really is supposed to be this place that feels safe for them, that's not home or school. And it's a place where they can, you know, just feel safe and be their authentic selves. So that's part of the community. But then there's this wider community, which is neighborhoods or, or Chicago and, um, there are a lot of really, really strong communities here already. And so that already ex exists. But when we're thinking about the built environment, a lot of um, these areas are just disinvested. And, you know, there's, like I said before, there's not a lot of building going on. And maybe there are even teardowns going on where um, they're just leaving empty lots. And so there's just not a lot of resources at this point for these communities and these communities exist, you know, everywhere. Um, and so really the point of this other type of community is to gather and to really understand, um, you know, what can actually be changed in the community and can you use design to make that change? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to what we've kind of just been notating this entire time that, Nobody really understands, I feel, how important design is until they realize how it affects them personally, you know, and, you know, it, it really makes, you know, the community worldwide, everybody really um, acknowledging the fact that, you know, if it affects one person um, disproportionately than another, uh, it really affects the whole, you know, there's that, that, num that power within numbers and really getting everybody behind such a powerful um, idea for serving the community, giving back to the community. It's so important. I think a lot of the time we are so not self-absorbed, but we're always thinking about ourselves and how we can kind of benefit from it instead of thinking about the larger picture and thinking back to, well, how can I make this better? Because you know, overall, I'll be giving back and it'll be such a great opportunity for the community, but I'll also benefit from this. So, you know, maybe speaking about that kind of notation a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, we need to remind 
we need to be reminded about how um how good it makes us feel to do good for others and um you know i think that we forget that teens that we kind of forget that teens are really smart and really in the know about what's going on and sometimes you just need to ask people like how they're feeling what they think and i think there's something about teenagers that we are like oh they're angsty and hormonal like let's leave them alone but they have so many great ideas and and it's just so important to engage them and and have them take part in their communities because most of them want to yeah yeah and and definitely thinking about you know they're really artsy and creative and they're honestly at their prime you know i know even in design school being you know 17 to 20 something years old in college maybe you know that's really the time where they say get all of your ideas out there get all of your ideas out there and i think that you know starting a little bit earlier with you know students from the age range that you promote uh that really gets their you know their imagination flowing and really tells them you know the sky's the limit you just have to kind of express what you want to express and we'll figure out a reality of making it happen um which again i think is very important because a lot of students think oh well that idea is too out there or you know not realistic but in reality it, it is it just you just might need a little bit help um moving forward with it yeah and i i think that it's important to remember that like in school you're not asked to to say your opinion in that way. Like if you think about like a book report, that's like you, you read information and then you report the information. And I feel like there are not very many opportunities in traditional school to like actually input data into your mind and then transform that into like, oh, this is what I think would be better. And this is my proposal. Like, I don't think I don't think that's a thing that we do in, in school, in elementary school. And so that skill of just knowing how to propose a thing that you actually created in your mind is so huge. And, you know, I always say, I'm not trying to make a bunch of little architects, like that's not the point. The point is to make good citizens that care about things and, you know, actually understand how to design, think, and problem solve. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's really two um, avenues that I really thought were interesting of what you just said is, you know, that idea of going through school and kind of learning and being molded, essentially, you know, to here's the information now I want you to regurgitate it and essentially follow a certain path, right? So, and I think a lot of the time students think that, well, I'm going to go for such and such a course, um, get my degree in it or, or whatnot, my education, and really come out as that. Um, and I think a lot of students within, you know, the arts and architecture think that that might be the mainstream way of doing things. So, for example, architecture, you go through school and everybody thinks, oh, well, I'm just going to end up as an architect. But nobody really understands, I think, fully how many different fields and avenues there are. And something with, you know, Chicago mobile makers is really getting their minds just blowing on, you know, a creative basis that 
opens up so many opportunities for them. You know, you talked about, you know, digital fabrication within there, you know, I'm sure hands-on tactile skills, you know, even personal skills of how you said to promote things, to really get you talk about things, get their, their thoughts across to others. There's so many avenues that one can go through with, with that, um, those tools that you're, you're providing to these students. And I think that's something that, you know, not to say anything about the way maybe the educational system is because of that. Um, but I think that is something that we see typically a lot of the time is, you know, we're going to go for, oh, we're going to go for this um, major and typically come out as that, and which isn't really the case. Yeah, and, and I think that's my criticism of like the idea of STEM or, um, you know, and the architecture education and, and the fields that they're giving us all of these skills, like in architecture school, we're getting, we're gaining so many skills and yet they're, I think it's a little bit different now, but at least when I was in school, it felt like even though I was gaining all of these skills, they were just telling me that I had one job that I could do with these skills. And I wasn't being told that I could go, you know, be a graphic designer if I wanted, or I could go weld stuff, you know? And um, I think it's so important for people to know that like an architecture degree is great, even if you don't go into architecture, because there are so many great skills that you're learning. Um, and I think it's important to know that you know, you don't, you don't need to go work in a traditional office. And like, I tried that and realized that I didn't want to do that. And so I decided that I, you know, would try something else. And it wasn't easy to figure out like how to veer off of that very like single track that I was given. Um, but I'm glad that I did it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the time, you know, students think, well, any experience I've, I've even been there before, you know, it, where you think any experience is going to be like great experience, which to an extent is true. You know, you definitely learn um, avenues about, you know, yourself, about the field, different fields that you like and you don't like. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of students just go through, you know, maybe design school in particular and say, well, after school, I'm going to get an internship because I have to. And then I'm going to get a job in a firm because I have to. You know, I have to pay my dues, so to say, which, you know, a lot of students think that that's the case, which really isn't. Um, they feel that, you know, we are kind of stuck or, you know, yeah, we have to go through this not negative experience, but maybe something that we don't enjoy just to kind of get our foot in the door. But I think just by opening such a, an array of fields and really starting kids younger with the mindset of this is something that I'm interested in. How do I kind of find something that molds that idea of it um, is really important because, yeah, it just kind of totally disregards that whole aspect of, oh, I have to do this. I have to kind of not waste my time, but really like go through a period of not enjoying what you're doing and, and life's too short to do that. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, something else that I wanted to talk about was obviously the coronavirus and how that might've uh, altered, you know, your plans for the mobile truck and, and further uh, progressing that um, throughout the, the past year or so. But 
specifically thinking about in terms of like the tactility of working hands-on um and you know trans transferring that knowledge into a more uh digital world uh what did that look like and how did did you have like uh uh let me kind of progress digress a little bit um was that kind of a really shocking change so from starting with more of a tactile skill set maybe for the students and transitioning into a more digital uh realm did that look completely different did that come as like kind of a shock or did you really notice how necessary both aspects of design uh, work together yeah i mean i think that's that's kind of what i'm getting at with the skill building where i think you know i think all students no matter how young they are should be getting a little taste of all of that and that's really the only way you're going to know what you want to do is by trying it and so why don't we offer this place where you can come and dabble in all of these different things and then and hopefully it's for free also and so it's kind of it feels like this no risk situation where um you can try out all of these things that you might like or might not and and maybe you gravitate towards one of them and then that helps you figure out like is a two-year college better for you? Is a four-year college better for you? Do you need to go get a master's? And hopefully that, you know, we're also there um, to support that whole journey as well. And, you know, if, if someone does want to become an architect and wants to go through the entire traditional path, that's great. And, and we will help them do that. Yeah. So, um, it's it's so exciting because it sounds like a little bit of like speed dating for design so it just it sounds so fun you know and i love the idea of getting the opportunity to try so many different um realms of design within this little uh mobile truck because you know a lot of students might not have access to certain things such as digital fabrication i had not touched any sort of digital fabrication until i reached college so starting yeah. at a younger age definitely changes you know the speed at which kids progress um through learning with design and just honestly the way that their mind thinks because you know might you might not realize how a material can you know bend or be distorted in a certain way without certain tools and i think that is just a really important aspect of the whole process that you're presenting as well um but can you talk a little bit about um just I'm, I'm interested to see your take on, you know, hostile architecture specifically because you discuss, you know, the sort of um, socially responsible architecture, which we we promote here at school as well. And it's so interesting. And a lot of the time we talk about hostile architecture and how that even affects the community aspect um, as well. Obviously, it's not, you know, not a, a benefit or a positive aspect to, to society. Um, but just maybe your take on what that's what that is um, and how it kind of affects the community. Yeah, so I mean, I to, to make it really simple, I usually use the bench example of, you know, benches that are designed so homeless people can't sleep on them. And that's just one of the many, many examples of hostile architecture out there. And, you know, we really need to step back and realize that that's just, it's really rooted in racism and um, it's terrible. <laughs> and it's just like, 
it's really just, you know, you see it mostly in communities of color or in downtown areas like those benches you see a lot in downtown areas. And it's really unfortunate because they're spending, let's say like cities are spending money on creating and fabricating this hostile architecture um, instead of putting it towards social services that could maybe remedy some of these problems. So um, that's my take on it. And I think that we are seeing it less, which is good, but it's still definitely around. Um, something that's kind of cool that's happening in Chicago right now is called Invest Southwest. And I think it's the only thing um, in the country like this that exists at this point, but basically the city is making huge investments in the South and West sides, which are our most disinvested communities. And so, we're going to see like a lot of building happening and there's been like a lot of community engagement and there, I mean, there's just a lot of regular community members who are in conversations about design and architecture for the first time, maybe in, uh, in forever, because this hasn't ever really happened. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely kind of an, ex an experiment and we'll see how it <laughs> works out, but it's really it's amazing to see finally the opposite thing happening for you know the first time in in years and years, and so hopefully this is kind of this is feeling like the opposite of hostile architecture, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we start seeing this in all of our cities. Yeah, absolutely, and I completely agree with everything that you're saying. Um, it was just such an interesting um, topic that I wanted to bring up today because I think it's so necessary and just. The overall idea of, you know, being inclusive with those around you and really, you know, creating such a strong community and really not being ignorant to those around you and, and really just respecting others and gathering together to make such a better community for one another. You know what I mean? And, you know, even talking about how you said putting more effort into community aspects instead of hurting others through design, you know, through hostile architecture. It, it's definitely, it's definitely just crazy to think about how much time and effort and money and materials are put into something that's kind of just trying to alter the space um, in order to make people, you know, not go towards one area or, you know, alter the way people might circulate throughout a space instead of doing the opposite of what, you know, design is supposed to, to do really, right? So you're kind of totally getting rid of the idea of bringing people together and that really sense of community, um, which I feel is so um, important that we can yeah. today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's counterintuitive. It's like, how do you expect a community to be healthy and to not have crime and to not cause any problems for the city when you are not giving any resources or making it a nice place to live? It's like, yeah. how does how does that work out? Yeah, it does. It does not make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we always think about, you know, the conversation with that, too, is whose responsibility is it? Um, is it the designer's responsibility? Is it the government's responsibility? Like who's really behind it? But I always think that, you know, no matter what, as a designer within any creative arts, you know, there's 
there's an aspect to it of giving back to the community and really doing your duties. And it's sort of like a personal obligation, maybe getting onto more of like a moral standpoint, which that obviously differs from person to person, but um, you know, that just sense of obligation to do good, to kind of benefit and really just, I think includes that idea of passing it forward and paying it forward and, you know, just helping others out to make that better community and realizing, you know, just what we've been talking about this entire time. So, yeah, I think that's, it's just incredible, like on a, on a range of different scales. So. Yeah. And I, and I will say like, I firmly believe that it's all of our duty. Like we have been given this set of skills and yes, we had to do a lot of work to, to gain them, but um, it's, it's my belief that it is our duty to use design to make things better. And I was, I was just having an argument about this the other day, but just like the moral responsibility of the architect. And it's a huge thing that, you know, we should continue having discussions about for sure. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Cause even thinking about, um, you know, you have a variety of clients, right. And, you know, one might not one might not have the same sort of end goal as you do, but how do you kind of think about it in terms of appeasing both, right? Um, And maybe you can speak a little bit about that um, if you have any experience with that specifically, I'm not sure. I mean, it's really, really hard because the the field as a whole has not um, decided to sign up for that duty of, moral moral responsibility and so it's really hard as an individual who cares about this stuff to find a place that's actually truly doing this work and so that's really really hard and that's obviously why I ended up doing my own thing because I I couldn't really find it and so I would say for for people who are in a job and, and they feel that they have this duty and they're not really finding it through the the traditional work to find things to do after hours and and find places to volunteer. Um, There are plenty of things you can get involved with. And I think that's how I started. I just started volunteering for things that I really cared about and that, that helped me on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the time, you know, even like we were talking about traditional education and design, you know, you think you're molded to kind of go through this path to then, you know, appease the client and just kind of do your dues as, as you think you, you need to. Um, but realistically speaking, like we need to start moving away from that idea of star architecture of like star architecture, luxurious Mm -hmm. needs for just kind of, um, unnecessary, you know, ornamentation, all that stuff, and really just get down to the roots of what the community needs. What do people within society need this building to do? Does it need to, you know, provide a calming sense to their, you know, overall mental health, their physical health? Like what aspect of it is it really providing them? Um, Otherwise, to be quite honest, then it might not even be need to be built. You know, there's, there's a necessity for it, but also, you know, there are a little bit of aesthetics that come into it, but I think a lot of the time the aesthetics definitely overweigh um, what's truly important. Yeah. And I mean, it's capitalism. So yeah. it's such a, it's a, it's such a complex issue and, you know, we're, we're never going to get away from this 
way of architecture until the market shifts. And, you know, once these projects, I'll give you a firm example of this. Um, Invest Southwest happened, it, I think it was coincidental, but it happened during COVID, like the, the RFPs started coming out and people started applying to these, to get these jobs. And in my opinion, the reason this happened where there was this flood of people wanting to do these projects, which were all social architecture, is because it felt like all of the other work stopped for what? They weren't building high rises. They, I mean, the construction industry kind of paused for a little bit. And so, oh, well, look at that. Once all of those traditional projects went away, everybody flocked to doing this social architecture. And I think there's something interesting that's going to happen, you know, unfortunately soon with climate change, where architects are going to be forced to do humanitarian work. And I think we're, we're going to be coming up to a very interesting time um, in architecture because of all of these outer, like architecture is going to be forced to change. <laughs> They're not going to do it themselves, <laughs> but um, it, it, we'll see some changes soon, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, it, you know, it, I think it is such an exciting but interesting time to kind of see how things change, too. Um, but, yeah, so is there anything else that you kind of wanted to add with everything that we've been talking about today that, you you know, you might not have mentioned before? Um, I think the only thing I would add is, like, if you feel like you're not interested in the traditional path that like that is completely valid and okay and I didn't have enough people telling me that at the time when I was trying to do something different and so yeah my my biggest advice is to try you know dabble like try those little things like start with volunteering start seeing what you're interested in and and that will help you kind of choose your path yeah yeah and that kind of goes with my next question um you probably already just answered that but maybe anything else um within the realm of what we talked today that if you could go back to kind of advise your younger self about something or even just about you know it doesn't have to be about you know socially responsible architecture or anything within the community in general just on a, a any any range of of topics that we talked about today um what what might that look like yeah, I think that I would have said, like, find your people, which at this point, I feel like I confidently have done that. But when I was coming out of school, I definitely didn't have this community of people doing alternative work to, to really look to. And so I would say, find those people wherever you are and start a relationship with them and start, you know, ask somebody to go to coffee and they'll probably do it. <laughs> um, and also, just like continue forward, even if, you know, you are not being validated as much as you should with your ideas, continue moving forward, continue um, pushing boundaries. And, um, you know, that will help you find meaning in, in architecture and in your future work. And yeah, just be persistent and resilient. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. And um, is there any uh, website, social media that we can reach you at um, or the Chicago Mobile Makerspace uh, specifically that you would like to, to tell viewers? Yeah, uh, our website is chicagomobilemakers.org. 
And I would say we update our Instagram the most often, and that's just at Chicago Mobile Makers. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking and taking the time to talk with us today at a student's perspective. I think this was a great conversation and really informative on uh, so many aspects uh, for the community and, and architecture and design in general. So thank you so much. Uh, this was another episode of A Student's Perspective. Stay tuned as the conversation continues next week. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.